some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Welcome, everyone, to a fresh edition of GTF, Gabriel Talks Football. My name is Aldo Gandia. A quick programming note, Wednesday on Draft on Tap, we will have from NFL.com, Eric Edholm, uh, who is also a friend of uh, Greg's. Maybe we'll have him on the show, too. Uh, but Eric has uh, agreed to join us on Draft on Tap, which he's done, I think, now for the last five years. And so we'll talk to him about what he saw down at the Senior Bowl and get his thoughts on other things around the NFL. That's Wednesday at 8 p.m. Central right here on the Barroom Network. Let's welcome in the man of the hour, Greg Gabriel. How are you, my friend? I'm doing good, but I was going to call Eric. You just stole one of my guests. <laughs> uh, I'm sure he'd come back on, especially closer to the draft or right after the draft. He's he's always no, got good. Fact, he was on, um, I don't know if it was the score or ESPN. I think it was ESPN the other day. And, uh, you know, talking about down at the senior bowl. And like he always does, he did an excellent job. Yeah, he's great. He's fantastic. And uh, it's good. To see his star rising, you know, I, 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 I have a feeling that before his career is over, we're going to see him on a regular NFL uh, network show, whether it's on Good Morning Football or one of their many shows, because he's good on camera. He's and he's very knowledgeable and presents himself very well. So good luck to him. Well, we worked together at Pro Football Weekly for oh, that's right, for about three years, two or three years, and uh, he has left. Someplace mm-hmm. came to Pro Football Weekly, then went to Yahoo, uh, and now is with the the NFL Network. So Eric and I are good friends, and, and he's very very knowledgeable, and he's got some great sources all over the country. Yeah, he sure does. It's always a pleasure talking with him, as it is with you, my friend. So uh, I want to get some of your thoughts before we start answering questions, because when I turned on this machine about 30 minutes ago, there were already a half dozen questions for you, and I've got about 10 highlighted already. So we'll try to get to as many of those as possible okay. and keep them coming. Uh, but I want to talk to you about the recent uh changes in employment for some people. I personally think that the biggest use is Cliff Kingsbury signing on to be the offensive coordinator for the Washington Commanders because of his association with Caleb Williams. And so does that now mean that the Commanders might be interested in trading up a spot to uh, secure the rights to Caleb Williams? Your thoughts, please. Well, yes, but there's more to it than that. You know, I think that was probably Quinn's number one choice to be the OC. Uh, at, the, at the time, Kingsbury had accepted the job with the Raiders, but never signed a contract. And I just read this morning, probably 15 minutes ago before I came out, I, I read Albert Breer's column, which is Monday morning quarterback. If you haven't read it, it's excellent. And he's got a section on this. So what happened was, you know, generally speaking, coordinators get three-year contracts. Most position coaches get two. 
and your head coach five. Now this year, first time I've ever seen it. There's two first time head coaches that got six year deals, which wow. is totally unheard of in the NFL. And that's in Seattle and a Carolina. And I understand in a Carolina because, you know, <laughs> after a year, you're a lot, you got to face the firing squad usually, but uh, Seattle turned around and gave a six year deal too. And that's going to have implications going forward, you know, with head coaches. If these are first-year head coaches and they're getting six-year deals, where's mine? You know, and, and uh, so, and you could see that when extensions, they start doing extensions with, with, with some guys, you know, down the road. But as far as, as uh, the Raiders, the Raiders – are paying a ton of people who aren't working in the building. Coaches, general managers, scouts, front office people, assistant coaches. And I guess what Albert Breer said is that they were very reluctant to give the standard three-year contract to Kingsbury. They only wanted to do a two-year deal. And his agent wasn't going to do that. Why should you do a two-year deal when I can get three somewhere else? Which he turned around and got in Washington. So that's why he, he ends up going to Washington. Luke Getze goes to – and let's talk about Luke Getze for a minute because there's some bullshit going on here now. You know, because I've read a couple different reporters, another one, Albert Breer, that, um, well, he did the best he could under conditions with, with Justin Fields. Kiss my ass. Thank that was the worst offense I've ever seen, and I've been involved in this game, in the in the NFL game, for 42 years now. That guy cannot call a play. He might know it, but he can't call it. And you, I'm sure you'll attest to it, most of the people listening will, will agree with me there. And the Raiders will find out soon enough that he really struggles with play, play call. Um, but, I, you know, I, I – it just seems like when he's been talking to national people, he's been throwing fields under the bus. Fascinating. Yeah. It, uh, you know, I, I got text uh, immediately over the weekend when the Getsy hire was, was announced, although I'm sure it'll be official uh, early this week, you know, it, it, it's, it's a weird league, Greg, you know, because it seems like some people, in the league we're blinders and aren't aware of what's happening in other cities with players and and coaching staffs and, and and so forth it seems like only us in chicago or those who really pay attention i i know we've got tons of people from out of town who tune into this show and they know they're chicago bears football but it just seems like it's a it's almost right. like a silo you know that uh, outside they, they, people aren't aware they, they don't know they're going to see the good rushing attack so he has a good running game and they didn't have a quarterback they couldn't throw the ball yada 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 well okay well, well why'd you call seven bubble screens in one in one game that's on. right you know the way he 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 just handles a game is pathetic and I'm not going to change my mind about that. And we'll see what he does with the Raiders, you know, who, who's ever going to be quarterback for that team and, and then go from there. But strict, you know, looking at the staff that they've put together so far, not very impressive in Las Vegas at all. 
besides Getsy, Hugh Jackson. Uh, now I like the Marvin Lewis hire. Mar- Marvin is a was a pretty damn good coach in his day. Uh, and then there, there's some other people that'll probably do okay, but there's there's just some names you go like, huh? <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't get it. And and he got the job because while well, he was working with another staff, and obviously it's his his prerogative to hire his own people. But just the, I, I look at some of the names he's brought in, and I'm just shaking my head, saying, you know, what's he thinking? Yeah. And what's didn't... surprising is he's using Coughlin as a Tom Coughlin as a sounding board on some <laughs> of these hiring things. Yeah. But hey. Is what it is. Um, the now that Getsy is with the Raiders, does that would you be shocked if the Raiders made uh, a trade for Justin Fields? Well, not, yeah. By the way, it, it sounds I'd be absolutely shocked. We never completed the the Kingsbury Washington yeah. thing, yeah. and that you know, there's some people under the misunderstanding that. Kingsbury was the quarterback coach at USC. He was not the quarterback coach. He was an analyst. And analysts are not allowed to coach on the field. And I had a you know, a debate with people on Twitter about this. So I just pulled out the – I took a, a, a picture of the media guy. And, and it had Cliff Kingsbury's senior analyst. And by NCAA rules, analysts cannot coach on the field. In practice, during the game – or whatever they are analysts. So, and then some guy sends me a picture, and it shows um, Kingsbury talking to Caleb on the sideline. It's like shaking his hand or something. And I went back. I go, "Where's the headset?" I said, "This guy looks like he's getting ready to walk over to the first team." You know, come on, be serious. <laughs> if he's the quarterback coach, you're going to have a headset on. Good thing. You know, yeah. and, and what he did. Was he's like a sounding board? He can work in the classroom with them. Mm-hmm. After practice, he can work with them. Often and stuff like that. You just can't do the coaching on the field during practice and during games. That's just the way the NCAA spells out analysts. You're only allowed 10 coaches plus the head coach that can coach on the field. That's mm-hmm. it. And if you look at their they had their 10 coaches and the head coach doing that. Um, anything else surprise you regarding these recent hires, you know, the Seahawks hiring Mike McDonald, uh, the Falcons, Raheem Morris, the Dave Canellis, who I, I saw two or three of his press conferences this past season. I was really impressed with his positive attitude and the work that he did with Baker Mayfield in that offense. I thought really deserved uh, two thumbs up, but any, uh, any uh, headlines catch your eye? Well, Canales and, and, and McDonald were the two guys that got six-year deals. And the McDonald one surprises me even more because, you know, Seattle is pretty much a, a um, established franchise, so to speak. The only thing I can think of is that supposedly – you know, rumor has it that McDonald was really the commander's 
first choice, but Seattle beat them to the punch. Mm-hmm. And maybe the agent said, well, if you want to, you got to give me a six-year deal. Otherwise, we're going to the other place. And they could have had that, that leverage. Uh, but I just find it kind of amazing that a rookie head coach got a six-year deal uh, going into the league. But none of the other stuff, I think, is that surprising. Uh, doesn't surprise me at all that Belichick kind of struck out because you knew Belichick – I don't know if I talked, I wrote about it, but I don't know if I talked about it. This goes back to 19, after the 92 season. So Parcells quits right after the draft, retires Mm -hmm. for health reasons, which was bullshit. Uh, Like right after the uh, 91 draft. And so it's too late to really go out and try to get a coach. And by league rules, you can't take somebody off anybody others and anybody's staff after a certain date. And so we elevated Ray Hanley, who was the running back coach, uh, to be the head coach, and that was a total disaster. Should have got rid of him after one year, but George was like, oh, "I can't fire a guy after one year. That's just not fair." Got it, but he fired him after two years because he saw his mistake. And then the the hot name was uh, Denver had just gotten divorced with Dan Reeves. And so we ended up hiring Reeves, but you knew there could be problems because Reeves was like Belichick at at, uh, New England and that he had total control. Mm -hmm. You know, he had total control on personnel, the 53-man roster trade, everything. So... Now he's going into a place where we got an established general manager, George Young, an established scouting department run by Tom Boyster. And it's like, how is he going to work with people after he's been totally in charge? Mm -hmm. And he said, don't worry, I can do it. I just want to coach. And for the first draft, which is only a few months after he he, uh, got hired and stuff, he, he was fine. Okay, but then the war started, especially when you start, you know, cutting down the roster at the end of training camp. And then the next year, the next couple of years of the draft, our meetings were just wars. It was a battle zone. It was us against them. And, you know, we had a, a and I'm not lying either. This is an absolute truth. We spent a day and a half arguing over Simeon Rice. Oh, a day and a half. <laughs> Over one freaking player. <laughs> have, I ever to- have I ever told you that story? I think our first year together, yes, I think you did. Why don't you share it with everybody? <laughs> well, the scout, we had the fourth pick in that draft. And he ended up going third, I think. But we, we didn't get him. And that was the uh, Keyshawn Johnson draft. Mm-hmm. And we had the fourth pick. And, and you know, it was Keyshawn uh, or we had the fifth pick. There was Keyshawn, Hardy, uh, the, the other defensive end from Illinois, Simeon Rice, and then uh, the UCLA tackles in the Hall of Fame. Uh, what the hell's his name? It was Baltimore took him. So those were the top four, and they went top four. Jonathan Ogden. We, yes, we were hoping that, you know, somebody would come in and take somebody else 
Uh, and that's a whole nother story about that. But anyway, the scouting department as a whole had Simeon Rice as the guy. I had gone out and worked him out. He, we had this thing we called the box that us and three other teams used, and it was kind of a um, – it's obsolete now, but back then it was a very relevant tool to use uh, to compare players. Uh, but anyway, Dan Reese was adamant Simeon Rice couldn't play. And this was – I mean, so we watched tape and everything else. And, and, you know, you're watching tape and you see what you want to see, you know. So, and basically it was Tom Boyster who was, who ran the scouting department and Reeves fighting and we're just listening. I mean, and it was a, it was a, it was like, you know, a 15 round heavyweight fight that lasted literally a day and a half. Wow. And which George should have came in after about an hour and just, that's it. But George liked argument, you know, because he thought you would, get the all you needed to get out you know mm-hmm. and but anyway let's fast forward so we don't get the guy anyway and we would have forced Simeon down Dan's throat had he been there but he would have found a way for him to succeed but now fast forward he goes to Arizona with I think the third pick mm-hmm. and we got a player so Pete Ben-Gurion was the offensive line coach at the time He's coaching, I think, in the UFL now. Uh, he can't coach in the NFL. He's got Parkinson's disease and it disables him, but he's a very knowledgeable offensive line coach, one of the better offensive line coaches I've been around. But anyway, there, this is Monday of, of game week. So Monday you start to put the, the, the game plan together. And so it's Monday afternoon. Pete goes into, and Pete goes into dance at Dan. We got to have somebody help and block this guy, either a tight end or a back chip. And Reeves is furious. I mean, MFs, the coach <laughs> completely, it's like, the story gets better. <laughs> you know, that guy sucked back in the draft. He sucks now. You block him with the tackle, and that's it. Wow. <laughs> it says, okay, you're the head coach, you're the boss. Before the end of the first quarter, Simeon Rice had two sacks and knocked the quarterback out of the game. <laughs> and Pete just, you know, Pete was like, well, I can try to tell him. You know? <laughs> that, you know, just makes you wonder about how many times we've asked that question. Why aren't they putting two guys on that particular pass rusher? It's probably because somebody was behaving pretty stubbornly. <laughs> All right, I want to get back to the commander story because there's another part of that story, and that's the Ben Johnson story, and he's the offensive coordinator of the Detroit Lions, and apparently he was a shoe in to get this job over Dan Quinn, and the commanders were uh, flying out their owner and I believe the GM to go see Ben Johnson, and in mid-flight, he lets them know, I'm pulling myself out of the running for the job. So my question to you is, 
is this guy leaving a bad taste on NFL owners? Because he did the same thing last year. He pulled out of jobs where he looked to be a hire. Now, some people are saying that he realized he wasn't ready for it yet, and perhaps he's realizing he's still not ready. Or some people are just saying he is playing games with these owners because he's trying to drive up his value. What do you think? Well, supposedly he had a price way up here. Hmm. And for a rookie coach to demand that is ludicrous because he's got no skins on the wall. Right. You know, and so he might think, I don't know who his agent is. And obviously we're not there. So we don't know the whole story. Whereas Paul Harvey said the rest of the story, <laughs> but it, it's, you know, the, there's something missing. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and they were, going in there necessarily to hire him. They were doing a final interview, really, mm -hmm. and then and then make a decision from there. But it's you know it's just weird how the whole thing played out. To me, whenever you see a guy pull out, and more times than not, it's because he knows he's not going to get the job. And that's a, a face saving measure. You know, I'm, I'm going to say no to you before you say no to me. And then, it, you know, I look better. And, you know, you can use, we don't know exactly what happened with Sanjay Lyle, but, you know, he pulled out his name out of consideration for the Bears wide receiver job. Well, have you seen him hired anywhere else yet? <laughs> and he may, but he hasn't, you know, so right, right. is he really the front runner for the job? Mm -hmm. And they're never going to tell us that. They're going to say when, when they – announce all these guys formally and that this was our number one guy hmm. whether he was or he wasn't you know but that's what they're going to say but it, it, i want to go back one to the caleb thing so because i started to say kingsbury worked with him but he wasn't his quote quarterback coach right and he knows him well could they go all out could that have been a ploy <clears throat> to get kingsbury we're going to get you caleb well, that's what Arizona had to do to get Kingsbury four years ago with, with five years ago or whatever with Kyler Murray. Right. You know, so um, it could be, but it also puts them in a position where even though it's only a, a, a one move, you know, one slot move, which, mm -hmm. you know, it's a 400-point move, but you're going to pay a premium. But now you might, if, if, if that's the case, they put themselves in the position to pay even a bigger premium. Okay. Now, talk about that further. Because who the hell knows what's going to happen? You know, we, we don't know. I mean, I know what I'd do if I was sitting there and I, you know, let those feelings out, but I'm not making the final decision. But, you know, word out of the senior bowl. They're sold on Caleb. That's the guy they want. Okay. Do you really think they're going to say anything different? <laughs> Come on. Now. No, we don't want him. Okay. Well, then we'll, we'll give you a fifth round pick to make it. You know, you, you've got to, in order to keep the price high or make it higher than what should be. Mm -hmm. then you've got us. That's our guy. 
And maybe it is. You know, we're going to find that, at, which brings up another interesting scenario. And I was thinking about this earlier today. One of the things that has nothing to do with the quarterback could be how they spend their money in free agency. They only got X amount of dollars. Right now, they're, what, $46 million available. Now, the official cap total or cap figure hasn't been given yet. But on the estimates, it's about 46. It'll probably be a little bit more if you end up cutting white hair, depending if you do it post-June 1st or right away. That's going to be anywhere from 10 to $13 million more. If they do something with Jackson, that's going to give you even more money. So they're going to have plenty of money to pretty much, you know, do what they want. But how they do it, do they go out and spend a lot of money on another receiver? Do they go out and spend a lot of money on uh, another defensive end or something like that? Well, all of a sudden, if they're giving out a couple really big contracts, to me, and that says, well, we ain't paying the guy who's playing quarterback right now because you can just tell by the way they're doing the deals and how much money they're going to have left. Mm-hmm. It is a fascinating part of the football year with uh, so much that we don't know. And as Greg has famously said, it is the lying season. So don't believe yeah. anyone. <laughs> um, all right. We've filed up some questions here. So let's tackle a few of them, and then we'll get to some other topics that we have planned to talk about. Well, I well, to talk well, about. Before we get to the questions, do you want to sure. do – you know, I want to mention just – and I'm not going to talk about individual players for the – because I haven't watched the tape yet from the All-Star yeah. game, G.S. West and the Senior Bowl. But how clubs look at these All-Star games versus how draft picks, draft analysts, mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. how they look at them are entirely different. Okay, I like I, I was telling you before we came on, there was a tweet by the Draft Network that um, Wilson, the receiver from – from Michigan is climbing up draft boards because of the strong week at senior bowl. Bullshit. It doesn't work that way. An all-star game might count 5% of your total grade. And you've already got what, what counts the most is what they did in the fall. Okay. You come to an all-star game and in many cases, not in many cases, in all cases, they haven't played football. For some, it's been a few weeks. For some, it's been as much as two months. Okay. And, but they have been training, but they've been training for the combine and not doing necessarily football drills, but working on bench press, vertical jump, long jump, all the stuff to get them ready to have a strong workout in another three weeks at, or three and a half weeks at uh, Indy. So you go in and you're rusty. And the general, first thing I learned when I got into scouting and and the senior bowl was the first all-star game I ever went to was you never downgrade a player for what he does as an all-star game. You can upgrade a player, but you don't 
you know, you, you, what you should try to do is, first of all, because, you know, he may be rusted, he hasn't played, he has a bad week, he's never played with any of these guys before, but his tape during the year was outstanding. Well, what are you going on? You're going on what he did during the year, not what he did for three days of practice at an all-star game. You know, in an entirely different situation. And when a guy really jumps out, let's say this Wilson really jumped out and he looked good, all that does is said, well, let's go back and look at the tape. Did we miss anything? And also you got to figure in what's he going to do at the combine? Because if he comes in and he runs four or five, five at the combine, regardless of what the hell he did at the senior bowl or whatever, he's just an average speed guy. But now if he runs four, three, eight, well, okay. Now it's like, hell, he can run. He had a good week at, at, at the senior bowl. Tape isn't all that great. It's good, but it's not that great. You know, but let's do more work. And then maybe say, we got to go in and do a workout with them or whatever. But that's what it does. It just, it gives you an alert. And I did, I was going to say red flag, but red flag sounds negative. But it gives you an alert that we need to do more to make sure we got the right grade on him going forward. But the stuff that's saying, this guy's rising up, this guy's rising up, this guy's fault. That's nonsense. It doesn't happen that way. You think you come back for the thing, all of a sudden you start changing grades? Well, here's a fact. Nobody's even put together their preliminary board yet. No one that's starting with most clubs today. You, you're, you turned off your mic there, buddy. After the All-Star Games is when they start the preliminary right. board. So, you know, this week or next week, but probably this week with a lot of clubs. And, you know, as I said last week, you're doing it by position. So, you know, maybe you're going to start with the offensive linemen and you're going to do the receivers and you go through the whole group and you stack that group. You get done with that group, go on to the next one, stack one. But you don't stack the, the whole group best to worst, just position best to worst. Mm-hmm. You know, does that make sense how I said that? Yeah. You know, so your number one guy, your number two guy, your number three guy in the draft, that is not done this early. That's not done till February, until you got all the information. You know, so people at, at the senior bowl say, oh, Bears are going to take Caleb. They haven't even sat down and talked to him yet. Okay, so <laughs> one step at a time. Maybe they are, but they didn't make that decision yet. Yeah. Okay, it's impossible to make that decision right now because you don't have all the answers. And if they decide we're taking a quarterback, they will do a, I guarantee it's going to happen. They're going to do a private workout with all the top quarterbacks. They're going to bring each one in on, on that 30 visit. And then they're going to sort through it and say, this is the guy we want. And if it's somebody other than the perceived top player in the draft, that gives you no reason to trade out. So, uh, uh, you know, Poles is down in Mobile. Uh, he brushes shoulders with a GM from another team. What kind of 
talk might there be if that other GM has an interest in the number one pick? Is it just AIB interested? Give me a ring, or could it get a little bit more in depth? Uh, reality is, it's a little early. Mm-hmm. You know, generally speaking, at the combine, some of that stuff starts to happen. But you could could be walking down the sideline and the new GM from the Redskins, you know, I'm just hypothetically making this up because he probably wasn't even there. He's involved in interviews, but anyway, the, the new GM for the, for, I didn't say Redskins, Washington commanders, excuse me, you know, comes over. Hey, you interested in moving that pick? Polls have gone. It's me. I don't know. It might be. Hadn't made that decision yet. Hit me up later. So and then, you know, you're not you're not committing to anything. Sure. But you're you're knowing that he's got some interest. Here's the thing. Generally speaking, the guy who makes the first call is the guy in position of weakness. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Paul Paul's calls. I want to move this pick. Yeah, well, if you want to move the pick, I'm not going to give you a whole lot more. <laughs> but if you call me, All right. I want that pick. What are you going to give me? I got three other teams calling me. Now, mm-hmm. that you, you, I don't know or you don't know if I'm lying or telling the truth. But the guy on the other end of the phone has got to be thinking, he might be telling me the truth. Mm-hmm. Interesting question from Ten Bears here, and it's a question uh, that actually you've talked about in previous shows, uh, but I'd like you to expound on it if you can. Uh, any truth to polls and NFL general managers generally being turned off a little bit from Caleb's Notre Dame game? He stunk and threw a tantrum on the sideline. You studied that game. What were your thoughts? Well, he it was like the beginning of the downturn for him. You know, up until that game, you had all last season and the first half of this season, you had a player that was playing way up here. Okay. So, <laughs> and, and you could legitimately say he deserved to be number one, maybe is generational, very similar style game to Patrick Mahomes. He can make every throw, all that stuff. Then he gets into that game. And he stinks. He throws three interceptions. Didn't have a freaking clue. But to me, what's even more important is he didn't recover. He never looked the same for the rest of the season. He had some decent games when you look at the numbers. Right. But not when you study the tape. You know, he, he played in a more constrained, conservative nature than he did earlier in the season. And then he has that one game, and I don't remember what game it was. One, you know, wasn't an ordained game where, you know, they, they lose the game and then he goes and cries on mama's lap where he looked like a five-year-old or a two-year-old, you know, for a good 10 or 15 minutes and then won't talk to the media. Well, that what's that say? Okay, if I'm a GM... And I know there's people think I'm out of my freaking mind, but, you know, I've been through this. 
So I know what it's like. You got to say, how does he handle adversity? Is he got a problem handling adversity? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The point I'm trying to make is you've got to find out the answers. Mm -hmm. Why did he act like that? Why couldn't he recover from that Notre Dame game? And, And he just wasn't the same player we saw at the beginning of the year and the player we saw last year. Those are the questions you've got to have answers to, or you can't take them. You know, you know, you got to have, if you got doubt, you can't take them. And then obviously you got to have the leadership stuff, the background stuff. Um, and I'm not going to get into to some of that, what I've heard, what I haven't heard. It's just that, you know, you, you, you got to be a hundred percent sold. You're giving up on one quarterback and you're going to take this other guy. You better be sold that he's going to be a lot, that he's a lot better than that guy. Mm-hmm. Because you're setting yourself up. And, and I don't want to hear, well, look what Stroud did this year. That's happened once in 15 years. And there's been some good quarterbacks that have come in the league over the last 15 years. And before that, it happened literally the year before. But then before that, it was years before. It's not, you know, everyday occurrence that a quarterback is going to come in and set the league on fire. Hmm. Last, you, year, last year, the, the kid at San Francisco, had, he was the last freaking pick in the draft. <laughs> Mr. Irrelevant, we're going to make you Mr. Irrelevant. Those were uh, John Lynch's uh, words to him just before picking him. Uh, Leon, Leonidas, I apologize for mispronouncing your name because I know I did. He says, so are we going to ignore Caleb still passing for 200 yards while having one of the worst offensive lines and having no time to throw? What do you think of that? Well, I don't agree necessarily that you have one of the worst offensive lines. That sounds like people trying to make excuses. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, have I studied the offensive line at USC? Not really. So I can't honestly say, but um, that offensive line was so good in the first five games and then so bad in the last five games or last six, you know, that uh, I don't want to hear excuses. The quarterback is supposed to make everybody else better, supposed to have the quickest release since, you know, the beginning of time and all of a sudden the fact is you hold on to the ball a lot. You know, people say Justin holds on to the ball. So does this guy. Yeah. And I'm not trying to bang the guy. I'm giving you fact. Watch the tape. The tape don't lie. You know, yeah. they'll say the eye in the sky doesn't lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because uh, Danny Shimon has been doing some work on, on Caleb, and he sent me a couple of clips and saying people say that uh, Justin Fields misses wide open receivers down the field. Take a look at these clips, and there's some clips of guys going right down the middle of the field, and I'm saying nobody in the other guy, and, and Caleb uh, misses them now. I, I've learned over the past year listening to you and Coach T that sometimes you miss those wide receivers because they were perhaps the third receiver in right. the progression. You just never got there. So you have to account for that. That's but true. nevertheless, you know, it's a, a little concerning. You know, as that's... good as your vision is, sometimes it's not that good. <laughs> exactly. You know, you, exactly. Your, like, you, you could see a guy. Perfect example. Last night, did you watch any of the Pro Bowl games? Uh, I saw highlights. That's it. Okay. Well, the guy who saved the game, by the way, was Jalen Johnson. 
Oh, really? A, awesome. A, a diving PBU on on a fourth down play by the AFC in the end zone. Break up the pass that won the game for. I the saw NFC. that play. I didn't know it was him. Okay, Great. so they show a wide angle view of that, and the quarterback was obviously, I think it was Stroud, going to his right. Jamar Chase was wide open on the left side, hmm. open by about three to four yards. Why didn't he throw it in? Because he was going to the right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's where the play was designed. He had three receivers on that side. And, and so, and, and these things are kind of makeshifted street ball. But in the, in the progression, he didn't, he didn't have time to, to make look over to the left. He tried to make that throw to win the game because if he completes it, they win. It's real simple. Mm-hmm. Indeed. <laughs> All right, let's tackle some of these questions. Uh, Ninja52 uh, Elite. I love Ninja52 Elite because he posted this question in a s- series of others at 8 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> His first one was, why is the narrative that Justin Fields is only worth a second-round pick? Does some experts say it and everyone is copying it? Justin outrushed Michael Vick two years ago. No way he should be traded for just a second-round pick. So at this point of his career and what he has produced, his resume, what is Justin Fields worth? And I know it depends. It depends on the team that you're dealing with, a high second round, low second round, high first, that kind of stuff. But what what are your overall thoughts on the trade value of Justin Fields? I'm going to give you an answer that sounds sort of stupid. Know what he's worth? No. The highest pick you can get. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I got to remember that when my wife and I are discussing certain things. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's like, you know, a, a, a guy gets a contract for X amount of dollars. He hasn't worth that money. Why isn't he? That's what somebody just paid him. Mm-hmm. That's what he's worth. So he's worth whatever you can swing in a deal. Yeah. And The price goes up when you got more than one team making the call to make that. Mm-hmm. You know, so you got to have a market. If you got no market, the price is lower. Okay. Well, that makes perfect sense to me. And I got to tell you, this one just popped up and caught my eye. Um, is that why you're rubbing it? <laughs> my, my gosh, Greg, I had the worst stomach flu this weekend. So if I look like I just crawled out of bed, it's because I just crawled out of bed. <laughs> Don't um, pass it, you know, through the airwaves to me. Yeah, no way. <laughs> you know, this whole comparison of Caleb with Patrick Mahomes is just so out of hand. And from the get-go, it was just stupid for anyone. The first person who made that comparison with Patrick Mahomes should be lined up against the wall and shot figuratively, (laughs) not literally. It's just that, you know, Patrick Mahomes was picked 10th in the 2017 NFL draft. No one knew Patrick Mahomes was going to be Patrick Mahomes. I'm going to tell you a story. Lee Steinberg was, I I think Lee is still his agent now, but Mm -hmm. Lee was his agent when he was coming out. And, you know, I've known Lee for years. And he asked me, now this goes back probably 
a month to six weeks before the draft. And he sends me a, a text, you know, where, where do you think? And I said, I think he's probably 15 to 20, somewhere in that range. And he goes, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And he goes, and maybe as low as 25. This freaking agent thought that. <laughs> wow. Okay. So now number one, I think he only had one winning season at Texas Tech. I think you're correct on that. Yes. Okay. And it might have been a winning season by one game. Um mm -hmm. I that that was one of the things that made me going back to Kingsbury. Kingsbury's mm -hmm. got, you know, the best quarterback in the world right now, supposedly, and he couldn't win with them in college. What makes Kingsbury so freaking great? Of course, if you ever been to Texas Tech, that's a <laughs> that's a hard place to recruit. I've been to Lubbock, and Lubbock is it's not a fun know, town. Huh? Out in western Texas, I got caught in a dust storm there. <laughs> and and you, I don't know if you ever heard about the West Texas dust storms, but I'm driving to Lubbock. Mm -hmm. It's in the spring, and. So I'm on, I, and I don't remember if I'm on an interstate or just like a four lane road or something, but mm -hmm. you could see the thing coming, you know, maybe 10 miles away where it was, you know, sun was shining, not a cloud in the sky. And then all of a sudden there was this like wall of brown. Oh, and he's oh. just said, holy shit. This way. <laughs> and then you're in it for miles and you can't, and you can't see. Oh, God. I mean, you got to slow down to like 10 miles an hour because you can't see a thing. Mm. It's man, really oh, crazy. Then they got these darn things down in, in Texas. If you hit it the right time, I think they call them love bugs or something. Oh, they, no. Yeah, they, you know. It's a swarm of bugs? Yeah, but your car looks like it got machine gunned by these things. Mm -hmm. I mean, just going out for a couple hours in the highway, you got to get your car washed like twice a day. And it's the ugliest thing because they're just smashed all over your car. And uh, I remember my buddy who lives in Houston, he goes, yeah, it's love bug season. You know, and he goes, this is what happens every year. Just <laughs> Some weird stuff happens down there. Well, I read uh, yesterday that uh, those of us uh, who have backyards, uh, this season is going to be terrible with cicadas there's a swarm of two different species of cicadas that are coming at about the same time uh late april and may and so the noise that they're going to make is about as long as loud as a chainsaw uh so be prepared for that <clears throat> okay uh like that oh is he a, is, does he chase cicadas around or he doesn't chase cicadas but he's gonna hear that he's gonna be you know, oh poor guy him. yeah um, so Ninja asked a question about who stood out in the senior bowl. Ninja, we'll get to that uh, in the next show or the one after that. Siron uh, Glover says, hello, Greg and Elder. How do teams use prospect evaluations for next year's draft to make decisions on this year's draft? For example, have you done an evaluation on a quarterback or quarterbacks in 2025 that could factor in – keeping JF1? I think that's a great question because a lot of people use that as an argument to keep Justin Fields. Well, we could, you know, if we trade for more draft picks, then we could draft one in, in 2025. Do general managers and scouting departments look that far in advance to the quality of players? You don't have what we'd call a complete report. Okay. The, 
you're going to have very preliminary things. We always had our scouts. If you see a guy, an underclassman that you think is going to be a top player, you know, just give me a, a rough more than one liner, but, you know, and, and with quarterbacks, we wanted, you know, start writing him as a freshman if you have to, if he's playing, because we we'll want like a, a running report to see if he continues in an upward cycle or he's going like this or whatever. Uh, you've got an idea and that's what you use the two scouting combines for too, because they're looking more ahead than the teams are. And, but you're going to have some of that stuff. And, and especially at that position, like you say, you're going to, you're going to pay attention to that position mm-hmm. and say, okay, yeah, there could be some, some good ones next year too. And so I don't have to get one this year, but you know, you never know exactly because they got to play next year. You know, like the kid from LSU was he thought that he could possibly be a, a top five pick at the beginning of this year, Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow was thought of as like a third or fourth round pick going into that final year at LSU. Mm -hmm. And he's the first pick in the draft. So you don't know exactly. You got some maybes, but yeah, you can look at it. And and if there's some guys that jump out, let's say running back, there's a sophomore, a couple sophomore running backs and, Running backs as a whole are going to come out after their junior year because, you know, they know they got a short shelf life. And if you got a couple sophomore running backs that really look good, then you can figure that into the equation for when, you know, you might want to take a running back. Excellent. Good stuff, Greg. Um, Second question from Saran. How do they pick position coaches for the senior bowl and are teams jumping at the chance? I, I think it would be a huge advantage. And I'm glad he asked that question because I, I wanted to ask you the second part of that question, which is what are the advantages, what are the benefits of having Alan Williams uh, coach one of the Shrine Team games and all the position coaches that were at both All-Star games? Richard Hightower, not Alan Williams. Oh my God! Brilliant <laughs> slip, buddy. Um, oh, that's the, embarrassing. No, it's not. <laughs> I, I, I've done the same thing. Okay, up until this year, first go back the Senior Bowl forever until last year to the, mm-hmm. the January twenty-three Senior Bowl. Senior Bowl always had two full coaching staffs. Okay. And what they had done in recent years was try to get <coughs> team that had the first pick and team that had the second pick, but that didn't always work out because if you got the first pick, sometimes that coach doesn't have a job anymore and they got to put a new coaching staff together or whatever. Then the NFL switched and said, no, we're going to the East-West is going to have the full coaching staff. And up until that time, the the East-West had had coaches from different teams. You know, it had a designated head coach. All of them were – nobody was a, quote, head coach. For all assistant coaches, some coordinators or whatever, Um, a lot of minorities because you want to give give them, you know, the exposure. 
because you have general managers and stuff at, at, at these uh, games. And so last year they switched it. We had two teams. The Bears had the option of being the, the, the coaching staff at the East-West last year, and Poles turned it down because he just said, you know, we got this a real important offseason. And you, when you had a whole team there, you got to ship your whole operation there. So it's your video people, your equipment guy, your coaches, everybody's got to go out there. And he felt that was taken away because the, the East West and the and the senior bowl cross over now. Mm-hmm. You know, and stuff he goes, so if I do that, I'm taken away from what I want to do with the senior bowl, uh, et cetera. So he, he said no, even though they they had the first uh choice of doing it. This year, the league said, and really it had a lot to do with the, 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 what the Bears did last year. Teams don't want to send their whole staff. You know, it, it, it's more of a, a pain than anything else. You know, but it's to just split it up. And it, it's an all-star game. So it, it's not like you're installing something that's very difficult. It's all basic football. You've only got like two different coverages you can use and, you know, how your offensive alignment is. You only, everything's very, very limited. It's very, very basic. It's pure football, you know, one-on-one type things and who wins and who loses. But anyway, they, they did a lot of this. Let's pick coaches. Like the one guy, um, Norton, who was a coaching assistant for the Bears, he was one of the coaches, I think, down at the Senior Bowl. And right. he, he's not even a full position coach right. yet here. But it it gives them exposure. Not only it, it helps them because they're doing it, but people around the league can see them in a coaching setup. Because you're watching. I mean, you're watching. You know, you're studying the players, but you're watching how – uh, the guys coach. I remember one year I was down at the Senior Bowl, and Green Bay was coaching one of the teams, and their line coach was, you know, the the, the offensive line coaches had a group called the Mushroom Club, and it was, you know, all the offensive line coaches in the, in the league. And this guy was supposed to be coaching the offensive line, but he kept looking at his buddies. Because all the offensive line coaches are together, you know, like, yeah, see, I, I like how I did that drill. You know, it, it was like he was, it was kind of funny the way that he was, he, he was playing into his group instead of really paying attention to what the hell he was doing. Oh, man. Um, you know, regarding the All Star games, uh, FFG style has a question. Uh, that I I agree with this premise. Trench players can make a good name for themselves. He he says great for themselves at these all-star games. I think, you know, of all the position groups that I think, and I'm not going to say jump up the board because you told us at the beginning of the show that just doesn't happen. But they can really get people, particularly small college players, when you have a Division II player lining up against a Division I player, if that guy plays good, then all of a sudden – they could maybe jump up the board a bit, right? The FCS guys, the Division II guys, they're the exception. 
okay. because you are seeing them against quality competition, supposedly quality competition that they weren't playing against in college. And so now if you see, you know, the kid who got drafted, I think in a second or third round by Tampa, you know, he played at Hobart or someplace in, in uh, you know, a D3 school in New York. And he jumped out at the senior bowl and that helped him because you saw him dominate in, in, you know, against D3 kids, but, you know, he's playing against, you know, six foot, six, one, 260, 270 pound guys in D3 versus real men at, at power five school. So when he goes to the senior bowl, now you're seeing him against those power five guys and you're going, well, yeah, he can do it here too. And so that that will help a guy like that. But like the one-on-ones, people get all enthused about the one-on-ones. Well, the one-on-ones are basically geared for the defense to win because the offensive lineman has no help on either side. And he's backing up trying to block where the other guy's going forward and can have a you know, in his mind, exactly what he's got going to do. So the defensive man's got an, an advantage. And like I say, there's no help. Like you don't have the the guard to pass him off to or a tight end to pass him off to or whatever. And so you, you got to take all that into consideration. But if you see like an offensive lineman dominate in, I'll give you an example. One of the guys, that Guyton guy. Yeah, uh, from from Oklahoma, who had some pretty strong play in the one on ones. Okay, I did some tape on him off of last year and the, maybe the first game of this year. He was terrible, absolutely really? terrible, and, and it's like I wouldn't even take this guy as a free agent, you know. And then you see how he grew during the course of the year, by the end of the year, and and by then at the senior bowl, it's like a totally different player. But that's because he wasn't necessarily, you know, I don't remember all the background on him, but he might not have been a full-time player last year, became a, a full-time player. This I got to go back and look. Mm-hmm. But I, I had done him for one of the agents. I do some work for him when I did him earlier. He, he just didn't do anything for me at all. And he's turned into a, you know, he might go in the first round. You know, wow. so – and it's not just based on what he did at the Senior Bowl. It's based really on, on what he did at Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. But he didn't hurt himself at the Senior Bowl because he showed strong – he showed good balance. Hand use was okay. It wasn't great. Uh, but really his strike, his balance, his power, those were all things that you could like. The guy who I, I liked a little bit, the, the one-on-ones – that you know would flash, but you didn't see everything in college. Was um, the other defensive end? Uh, what's his name? Adisa Isaac is that the name from Penn State? Yeah, I know who you're talking about. So I'm he's sure. the opposite. He's opposite from Chop Robinson, who's going to be a first round pick. Mm-hmm. But this guy's pretty good in his own right too. You know so. Mm-hmm. Now you go back and you look, you know, so he jumps out a little bit at the senior boys. So you go, I can go back and look at some more of this guy. And then you see, and they go, well, 
know, he's a guy probably might go. He could go in the second round when you go back and you look at the tape, you know, when he flashed at the senior bowl. So that's, I hope that explains what I mean. Uh, it doesn't say you're going to jump off of, up, off of what the guy did at the senior bowl. You go back and you cross check what you did mm-hmm. to make sure you did it right. Yeah, absolutely. There's nuance to all of this. Um, let's see. Abrelissimo has some thoughts and questions here. Uh, does drafting Caleb Williams extend the time frame for polls, but not Eberflus? And then he goes on to say, the way I see it, Eberflus has one year to prove anything. But does Paul extend his timeline with the Williams pick and offensive coordinator taking over as I see you smiling already before I got through. Your thoughts? <laughs> I got to tell you something, and it's just strictly my thought. Hmm? The quality of the guys that the Bears hired, these new hires, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you what, they did a hell of a job. You can compare that to, to anybody else. They they put together a hell of a freaking staff. Yeah, offensive staff, okay, and then and then Eric Washington. That tells me Eberflus is safe too. Mm. Okay, because you're not going to break up that crew. You know, you had to give Eric a three-year contract. You have to get Walgren a a three-year contract. And don't forget, these guys had choices. You know, Walgren. Do you think this is the only place that, that wanted to hire Waldron uh, or or Brown? Brown interviewed for, for head coaching jobs. And yet they chose to come here. Well, why would you want to go here if they didn't think there was stability? I mean, mm-hmm. coaches live a nomadic life to begin with. But if you're going to be moving, you want to be moving like every three or four years or whatever. Dave Tobes had a great. Dave Tobes had in 20 years, he's had two jobs. The Bears in Kansas City. I mean, not bad. <laughs> yeah, that that's that's <laughs> unusual. But mm-hmm. you know, for, for most coaches, it's a, it's a few years and you're on somewhere else, but you don't want to be moving in one year. And I, I just think when you look at the quality of the people they hired, that tells me. That at least right now they feel that the flus is going to be here a while. Yeah. Well, and I got to tell you, I think, you know, when you look at the roster and when you look at the assets that general manager Ryan Pose has, meaning the draft picks and the, the salary cap, this is a very attractive job if you're a coordinator, an offensive coordinator, or a defensive coordinator. They've they've got things to work with here and and it doesn't it's not like they're going to a team and i won't mention a team but uh, you know it's not like they're going to a team that you look at the roster and go oh my gosh it's gonna be tough you know like the bears roster two years ago yeah. <laughs> that was tough <laughs> yeah. all right well, i want to say one other thing about sure thing. Caleb, and, then, and then we can move on shane waldron brown Joseph, so you're, you got your passing game coordinator, your quarterback coach, and your offensive coordinator. Probably the three most important guys in the in the evaluating of a quarterback. Mm-hmm. I, think. I guarantee you, they haven't done shit yet on Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. When have they had time? They got hired. 
Yeah. They went down to the Senior Bowl. Good point. Today is probably the first day in the office. Not today, it's tomorrow. And that's when they're going to start attacking that. They're going to say, look, you know, and then they're going to make a decision. You know, do you think you know, Waldron, before he interviewed, probably was able to look at two or three games, you know, to, to get himself a little bit prepared? Right. But did he do an in-depth study? No. Because he was, you know, there's other teams that wanted to talk to him too. And he's got to, you know, you got to prepare for all teams, but now they got to do it. And they're going to, they're going to go through and do that. And they're going to come up with an opinion. We can work with this guy. We can't work with this guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and go from there. Good stuff. All right. Uh, let's see. We're doing good on time. Let's get to some more questions. Uh, you know, this is an interesting question. It's something that you've talked about in the past when the Bears were, uh, you know, considering centers for the 2023 season. And you told us that the team perhaps wanted to just go with a veteran center because of the young people, the young offensive line. And so uh, Gustav is saying, would you be leery this season of a rookie quarterback with a rookie center? There's a couple of good Hell centers. yeah. <laughs> Tell us why. <laughs> well, because neither one of them know what the hell they're doing, and they got to make they got to make the line calls. You know, it's like you're screwing up all the synchronization of, of the offense. Yeah, because you got two rookies. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it, it's like I said. There's a few centers out there. There's the guy playing for Waldron. At Seattle last year, the guy from Tennessee, uh, they'd probably be one and two or two and one on a list uh, of, and when you look at their age, I think one's 25, the other one's 27 or something like that. So, you know, they fit the age criteria that polls would be looking for. And they're upgrades of, of Patrick and Patrick's out of contract. So, you know, He's not going to be here, and Cody's probably not going to be here. I mean, right now, the Bears really don't have a center. They got the one guy who, who was drafted a year ago. and uh, Kramer. Kramer, and he hasn't done much. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, because he's been mostly on the practice squad, showed a little bit in preseason. But are you going to go into the season with him? Hell no. you got to mm -hmm. get somebody. Now, if you're going to – Centers generally don't go in the first round. Every once in a while, you see one like Baltimore took one. Now, Baltimore had a very uh, veteran front line when they took that kid from Iowa a couple of years ago. And so you can do that. Chicago's line is young, you know, across the board. Mm -hmm. And you can say, well, Nate Davis is a, is a vet. Yeah, but it's only going to be a second year in this scheme. And he missed part of the season and, and pretty much the whole offseason. And nobody knew what was going on with his mom then. But that's what it was all about. You know, all the, the offseason program, a lot of training camp and part of the season. So it's almost like he's going to be a new guy again next year. And so just my way of thinking, know the importance of that position <clears throat> Excuse me. You have to have a veteran in there. Now, could they? 
But, you know, if you're going to take that kid from uh, Oregon. Jackson Powers, Johnson, yeah, I believe his name is. Who is, can also play guard. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you got to use a, a first-round pick on that guy. Yeah, he's a late now, he's first not, round. But, now, you know, right now they got one and nine. Well, you're not going to take him at nine. That's Ooh, way, yeah. way too high for him. So, you know, you have to either – and you don't have a two. See, that's one of the reasons why I think it's a lock he's straight. He doesn't have a two in the second round, especially early in the second round, got some great freaking football players. Mm-hmm. And, and you got to find a way to get a second-round pick. And that's how you get – I mean, right off the bat, let's say – Washington really wants that pick. And I'm just, this has nothing to do with the players involved. I'm just thinking about what I can do to help my team. Okay, if you use the chart alone, it's a 400-point move. The pick that the Bears gave is, uh, that'll be about, 44 or something like that, 40, okay, 470 points. But Washington has got picked 34, which is 560 points. That's their own two, because they got they got two two second round picks now. Right. But before we even start the conversation, it's like, well, the first thing you're giving me is that number 34 pick. And then you're going from there. Whether it is, you know, you, you paid a premium to just go one spot. Now, I'm seeing these things. People think you're going to get a first next year and all this. Not to move one spot, you're not. No way. <clears throat> and, unless Washington is totally desperate, put the chart back up. Sure thing. Okay. Because, again, it's, it's a 400-point move. So let's just say Washington was – Turns out halfway decent and falls in the middle of the pack, you know, so they're around 14 or 15. That okay, so you're over a thousand points, right? And and then you get that number 34 pick. You're getting back for a second and a first, a second now and a first next year, you're getting back over a thousand points premium to move one spot. Mm-hmm. That's a hell of a lot of capital you're giving up for one. You know, it'd be a great trade for the Bears, but I just can't see anybody paying that because now, you know, because other teams will use that and say, well, look what Chicago just got. You know, you got the the sanctity of the market has to come into play here, if that makes sense. Absolutely. You got to, you have to pay a premium. There's no question you have to pay a premium. But... You can't use last year's trade, which went from one to nine. So that's 3,000 to 1,350 in Mm -hmm. points. So you're roughly 1,650 points difference. You know, you got to pay for 1,650 points. This is 400 points. (laughs) Yep. Um, This chart which was devised <clears throat> originally by was it Jerry Johnson? Johnson Jimmy Johnson Jimmy. 
um, invaluable tool. Uh, and I, don't some teams adjust the chart from year yeah, to year? Yeah, you know, it, it, you know what you use the chart. The chart is a a basis mm-hmm. or a baseline. Right. And the market's going to change. Now, when you get into the third round, you could everything goes almost totally to the chart. But when you're in those premium rounds, sometimes you got to pay a premium. It's what's the premium going to be? You know, let's say you've got, let's say Washington said, I'll give you my two, and I'll give you a two next year. And you look at the two next year, you know, if they gave it that 34, you're already getting a 160-point premium. A 160-point premium is about a middle third-round pick. If you you know look at the chart, so let's say they give you a two next year, you know you're getting a pretty darn good premium to move one spot. And now theoretically, let's say the the Bears said, "Yeah, I want a quarterback, but I don't want Caleb. I want Drake May." Now again, I'm just throwing dart at the wall here. Sure. I'm moving down. I'm getting a two. I'm getting a two next year, and I'm still getting the guy I would have taken if we didn't make the trade. So, and, and part of that, who you're going to get or who you want to take with that plays into the equation. Okay, And then, now, if, if I was polls in this situation, I turn around and try to trade that number two pick too. And now you got, because if you look, I don't have all the picks in front of me, but I think they only got five or six and they don't have a seventh. Correct. You know, they don't have a second. I know they don't have a seventh. Uh, you know, they want, he wants to fill up on draft capital. Now, I don't know if the sevenths mean that much this year because you have a lighter amount of juniors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, in theory, you're still going to get the same guys you were targeting to begin with because everybody board is, is different. But for the purposes of, of negotiation for a trade, you can say, well, hell, there's 50 less juniors in this class. That means that there's not as much depth in the draft when really the depth of the draft is good, is going to be dependent on how your final board looks. And if you like those guys, you've got in that seventh column. Good stuff. Um, Slick Sophistication asks, I am surprised that Mike Vrabel didn't get a job, a head coaching job. I was shocked at that too. Uh, Greg, yeah, what do you think? Surprised me. Really? Um, well, number one, he was good for a while at Tennessee, but the last two years have not been that good. Mm-hmm. Um, will he get a job in the future? Yeah, he'll he'll get one. Um, I don't know what his contractual situation is, but he's probably still getting paid. So take a year off and take a nice vacation. You know, sometimes that year it, it refreshes you, mm-hmm. but you can, you know, during the course of the season, you, you, you've got tunnel vision. You're just trying to look at, at your team. And there's been, I'll give you a pretty, he wasn't a coach, but he was a uh, general manager. Okay. When Chip Kelly was there and, and there was a, this is Chip's final year. 
Chip and Howie didn't get along. So, and he didn't want, Chip didn't want Howie in that personnel role. So the owner who loves Howie said, okay, we'll let him hang himself. So <laughs> Howie, Howie moved over to the other side of the building, was involved in still getting paid and, and was involved in some team funk things, but not uh, anything involved with Eagles personnel. He went out and he talked to basketball GMs, baseball GMs, all the people. He just like spent the whole year studying and learning different ways of doing things that, you know, to help his base, his, his, his total philosophy, you know, and, and just talk to people that he thought could really help him improve on his philosophy. Mm-hmm. And I think it paid, and, and I think some coaches do the same thing too. You know, they might go around to different places and just see how this guy does things, you know, go as a visitor. And if you got a good relationship with the head coach, they're going to let you, you know, and, and stick around for a couple of days, go to some meetings or whatever, and, and just see how they do things versus how you do things. And you can come up with ideas that will prepare you even more for that next job. Good stuff. Okay. Um, let's see. I got – uh, several more good ones here. Berlissimo just popped this one in. And by the way, if you're not following Berlissimo's YouTube channel, you really should. He puts out lots of great player evaluations, and his point of view on things is always interesting. He put out a tweet, Berlissimo did, to test out some waters. And he asked, would you trade the number one pick for the number two pick? Also, Sam Howe, the 34th overall pick, and Jonathan Allen. But, Greg, would you be interested in the – a trade like this, Howell did pass for almost 4,000 yards last year. A lot of people, uh, you know, overlooked that. What do you think? I think that trade would be a pipe dream. Why? Because they're not going to give you an all pro for, to move one slot. You're not going to get an all, uh, you know, consensus all pro defensive tackle. Plus Unless- the quarterback, plus that, plus you know, the number two pick, um, a quarterback, an all-pro tackle, and they got the, the number two pick overall. That's just nobody's going to do that. Yeah. Not for a one, not for a, a drop in one spot. Mm-hmm. I, w- I wouldn't do it only because of Sam Howe. I would rather have Justin Fields over Sam Howe. I know that Howe passed for 4,000 yards, but they're two different quarterbacks. You have to uh, account for what Fields does from a running perspective to the yardage total. And I think if you did that, they would those numbers would be a lot closer. Well, we, well, let me back up a little bit. We, gotta, we can sit here and, and – you know, Bears Twitter and fans and, and talk radio been already had a a three-week to a month-old argument going on in this thing. And like I said, I guarantee you the Bears have made no decision. And a large part of that decision is going to be what these new coaches think. And that's going to be a couple of weeks away before they even form an opinion. 
And mm-hmm. part of it may be just getting on the phone and talking to JF a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, now Waldron said he's already talked to him and, and, and so did Joseph, but right. you know, in depth or hi, I'm your new coach. You know, you don't know that, but you want to, you want to pick his brain. Now, theoretically, you can't bring him in here to sit down for a meeting. He can come in on his own, I think, but you can't ask him to because of, of um, your, your CBA CBA contractual rules. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, I think until they make that decision and that decision will be made. And I'm trying to be open-minded because like I said, people are going to say, see, he's hedging. He, he already said he's, I'm not hedging at all. I'm just telling you how the process works. And until they make that decision, which will happen before the combine. Combine is like the 25th or 26th of this month. So it's like three weeks away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by then they'll have a good idea of, of whether this group really wants to work with him, think they can make it work, um, and then go from there. Mm. You anticipate there being a, a press conference introducing the new coaching staff later this week? It's probably because everybody's back in town. It's probably going to be later this week, right? I, I don't know if they had all the coaches involved, but I would think that you're going to have uh, the coordinators. Yeah. Okay. Washington uh, and Waldron at the least, and maybe all of them. You know, maybe mm-hmm. you're going to have Waldron and, and Washington one day, and maybe Brown because he's passing game coordinator, mm-hmm. and then the other guys to a lesser extent at another time. Uh, I don't recall if they've done that for assistance before, but for the coordinators, they'll do something because – and and you know darn well that when Walter gets up there, ninety eight point nine percent of the questions are going to be about JF because mm-hmm. <laughs> they're going to try to see if it fits in with their scenario or their narrative or whatever, and then go from there and try to you know cherry pick his answer and read into his answer, and you know. It, most coaches are going to give you coach speaking. He's probably not going to tell you anything, but we'll see. I mean, we don't know for sure. I'm really looking forward to that press conference. I hope uh, the reporters come prepared with good questions. I'm just kidding, guys. <laughs> um, There's one guy I wouldn't even allow in. I'd just say he can't come in. But... <laughs> I know his initials, but I'm not yeah. going to say him. Uh, Fathead has a thought that has been running through my mind. Um, if the Bears pass on drafting a quarterback number one, they will be left out of the league. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but I do think that if Ryan Poles bypass, this is this is the biggest decision of Ryan Poles' career. It could it could mark him for the rest of his coaching career. This is bigger than you know who he got married to. I you know get what? The more you think about it, he's in a no-win situation. Yes, yes. A total no-win situation. Because if he passes and the guy turned out to be a great an all-time great quarterback. And what the fuck? Okay. So that's mm-hmm. the one thing. But what if he takes him and he's a bust? Right. And Justin goes somewhere and has a you know pretty good career. So it, it, it's like 
how do I win here? The only way he wins is if he takes him and he has a great career. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Indeed. Um, by the way, uh, Swift Sports Network has a new video coming out at 1 o'clock Central, 2 o'clock Eastern, I believe he said. And he was down at the Senior Bowl this week, so I'm really looking right. forward to that. Everybody should tune into the Swift Sports Network and also tune into Nomad Network. Uh, they've been uh, a number of their show hosts and producers <clears throat> have been gracious enough to join us today, as well as Bears Country Podcast. Kudos to all the I work you guys have some places to eat down there. I wonder if he went to any of them. Well, he's in the chat room. I'm sure he will let us know. Uh, while he's uh, writing Good his... Day. Did you go to any of those places? <laughs> I hope he did. Well, he was probably editing in the hotel room and uh, eating McDonald's or something like that. I got a question here from... Um, oh, yeah, I wanted to ask you this. Flex Diggs says, uh, Bears Brass saw six-year deals coming for coaches and said, oh, we'll keep our guy. Nobody beats Flus 15 times in a row. But what, what I wanted to ask regarding this is it seems like the bears are the only organ organization not revealing the length of contracts to their GMs and head coaches. Am I wrong there? And what are your overall thoughts? I mean, I grew up in a world where it was impolite to ask, you know, how much money do you make? Uh, you know, money, your financial, but that's been blown out of water for years now. What, what are your thoughts on the Bears not revealing the length of contracts for the you coaches? Know, in all honesty, I don't think the team ever revealed that it's the agent. Really? Oh, wow. You know, so the agent, because that, that, that's better than the agent's camp. Mm -hmm. You know, he's that, that's a recruiting tool for him. Yeah. Man, I that got makes Pinnell's lessons. six-year deal. You should be with me and not with him. Yeah. And, well. You know, so it, it's – and, and that's, you know, how agents work a lot of times. Mm -hmm. The same thing with, with, you know, the player contracts. You know, let, let's say, you know, Jalen's on record as saying he wants to be the highest paid corner. Well, let's say he ends up with a deal that's number five. Right. Well, the agents for four, three, two, and one are all going to use that against the agent he has, you know, <laughs> and, and, you know and try to get him to, to come over to them. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Inglewood says, although there's a lot of analysis by paralysis going on with so many experts discussing the draft and free agency, can you simply ask, Greg, what do we need to do to beat the Packers and softsets? Play better. <laughs> Play better. But don't you, you know, I, I think the emphasis is on improving the pass rush, which isn't bad now with Montez Sweat, but you've you planted know, this. You've planted that thought in my mind months ago when you said that, you know, in the high rounds, they might go after two pass rushers, like maybe the first round and the third round, or maybe the first round and the fourth round. But and it, and it so I, shock me. I mean, I can't see him going out and give it. He, he gave sweat like 24 million, 25 million, whatever it is a year. I can't mm -hmm. see him doing that again. Okay. And that's what it's going to cost for. I agree. A Burns. Mm -hmm. Now, could I be wrong? Yeah. Sure. I mean, he's got the money to do it, but it just, you want to spread your, your capital around. You don't want to overload. When you overload, you're going to get like, like Washington did last year and have to sell two guys at the, yep. at the trade deadline because they screwed up to begin with overpaying their, their one position group. Yep. You know, so 
I can't see that. I, I could see them like bringing Ngakwe back on a similar deal. Mm-hmm. Okay. And on a one-year deal at and then drafting a guy. Right. You know, I and, and I'm just throwing out a Ngakwe. There could be somebody out there they they like better. People bring up um What's the guy's name from from for Buffalo? Who's a actually a local kid? Uh, he was a second round Epineza, who's a second round pick of the Bills. To me, Epineza is just a guy. Yeah. And I watched. He's a backup for Buffalo. He's a second round pick. Plays in the rotation. He's a decent rotational player, but I'm not going to give him any money. Hmm. Hmm. Yep, I agree. I agree with you 100 percent on that one. I do think that. Um, if the Bears were to make a splash signing at defensive end, you know, I, I wouldn't be dejected by it, of course, but it would create concern that we might be headed the same down the same road as Ryan Pace, where he overspends to try to get success too quickly and deviates from the plan of building a rebuilding a team for sustainable success, where you want 10, 11, 12, 13 victories every season. And if you are going to pin all that much, that much money on one position group, it's a dangerous thing to do. The other thing that concerns me is that if you sign a free agent of that kind of money, then it basically signals to everyone we're drafting a quarterback because we're not going to be we're not going to be saving money for Justin Fields' fifty million dollar contract uh, in no, twenty twenty five. And you're right, which is what I I said earlier. And yes. you know the, they've got to do something at wide receiver. Yep. Because reality is, there's one on the mm-hmm. team right now. Yep. I mean, there's one that you could say is a legitimate NFL receiver, and that's DJ Moore. Um, be interesting to see what these new coaches feel about Mooney, you know, mm-hmm. going back, looking at Mooney's first two years versus the last two years, uh, why the drop off. And I think that's why they made a coaching change because the development of that group as a whole has been non-existent. Uh, and, and you can throw Chase Claypool into that. We talked about that, I think last week. You know, mm-hmm. nobody has developed from inside. DJ Moore was a was a known Pro Bowl type wide receiver when they got him, and he continued to play that way. But nobody else has has done anything worth the beans. You know, s- since uh, that guy, the former receiver coach, Tech Tolbert, was here or came here, so they made a change. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, but they probably, they got to draft a guy. There's no question about that. They got to get a vet too. But okay. So people think, well, you got to spend, you know, you got to get Brian Burns and then you got to go out and get, you know, get somebody else that's going to cost you 17, 18 million or 20 million or whatever the hell it is. I can't see that happening. <laughs> I can see them spending 10. A lot or something like that. I, I just knowing how how Poles handles the cap and the way he wants to, to balance things. I just can't see him going out and trying to get one of those 
He's already got DJ at that. And he's gonna, he's probably going to use a high pick on a guy. But he's right. got to get somebody else. Right. You're basically, in, in essence, you know, you, you want to draft a young defensive end and a young uh, wide receiver to be the successors to DJ Moore and to Montez Sweat. And they'll play it two, three, four years together. But eventually, those salaries are going to be replaced. DJ Moore's salary is going to go to that second year, the second contract for that wide receiver and that second contract for Montez Sweat second contract with the bears will go to this pass rusher is how I, I kind of see the bears building the team. And when you um, look at the ages of the players, you know, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Um, important question here. I, as I've started to study a little bit of Shane Waldron's offense, I see a lot of two uh, tight end formation sets. So, Obviously, they're not going to. I think you and I agree on this. A lot of people in the chat might not. They're not going to draft Brock Bowers. There's no way they're going to spend a uh, first round pick on a tight end. So, out of the free no, agents, yeah. If this team was further along and mm-hmm. you didn't have some of the holes that you have, then you put Brock Bowers, a Brock Bowers type of player, into the equation. Mm-hmm. But as this scene sits now, He's a luxury because, yep. like it or not, he's number two tight end here. Right. And you're going to use a top 10 pick on a number two tight end? Yeah. So the, the interesting thing for me is that, you know, Cole Komet has proven that he can be you know, pretty much a, a, a versatile tight end. He can play in line. He can also move, move skills and the route running skills. At least he's proven that to me personally over the last year or two. Uh, and so that gives the, an opportunity for the for the Bears to pick up the best available tight end and work him and Cole Komet into the offense with their individual skills. So I got the list from Spotrack of the top tight ends available. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. I will just read these names out. And if you say stop when you hear a name that you might well, I, want I, to I say. say one name that is already here. Okay. Because we talked about that. And, and that's one of the, the problems I, I had with, with Getsy is Tanya <laughs> had some big years right before he came here. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened to him? He's still a young guy. Yes. He he Let me you see know, his so age. What happened? That to me, see, that's there was <laughs> that was something that was wrong with the scheme as a whole. Yeah. Is is that they just relied on two people? Yeah, and, and and but I gotta ask that question: Was that Justin's fault because he gets locked in on receivers? And and I, you know I can't answer that. So that that is something that the coaches when they review the film do, and part of it's going to be in conversation with Justin. And Bruce probably already knows the answer to some of that because he, he was involved in some of those meetings. Mm-hmm. But now, supposedly, Flus was standing during these interviews, according to what was reported, you know, none of us were sitting in on those, that he was standing up for JF in those meetings, in those uh, coordinator interviews. Now, whether he was or whether he wasn't, I don't know. But you know, you're going to find out for pollution. You're going to find out in conversation with JF 
Well, what, what were you being told? How were you being coached? Why, what, why did you concentrate on, on DJ and, and commit? What, what was wrong with Moody? Why couldn't mm-hmm. he, how come, you know, they re-signed um, EQ? EQ never gets thrown to in two years. Uh, and there's times when EQ gets open. Um, you know, you, you got to have the answers to those questions. We don't have them because we're not sitting in the building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's it, you're absolutely right. That that has to be like a you need a uh, Channel Five investigative <laughs> unit to go out there and find the answers to what was going on there. All right, time for uh, just a couple more questions, and we'll get out of here. Um, let's see. Uh, football CF Candy says, Greg, I've heard that stylistically Shane Waldron and Poles would like Drake May due to the ability to play in a structure, anticipate and fast release, something Justin Fields uh, uh, doesn't have a, a quick release. What are your thoughts on the system that Shane Waldron runs? And is that perhaps not suitable for Justin Fields? I'm not going to say it's not suitable for fields because number one, you can always adjust your scheme to the quarterback. And if you want to find a quarterback similar and not as good an athlete, but similar, Geno Smith is closer to Justin Fields than he is to Aaron Rodgers. Pretty, Mm -hmm. you know, the same off, same offense. Um, So, you know, the one stat going to Shane Waldron and they and it said it's is that his quarterbacks got the ball off so much quicker than they ever did previously. Mm-hmm. And they use like uh uh Smith, Geno Smith is, is one of the examples and and how fast it was the average t- time length it was before he got the ball out of his hand, and it was dramatic from previous years to what he did the last two years. And so, again, some of this stuff is going to all play into it, and, that, and that's part of coaching. But you got to have the coach has got to believe in the player that the player can do it. And don't – I mean, you know, everybody's saying, well, Drake May or Caleb Warren. Well, there's Daniels from LSU. you got J.J. McCarthy from, from Michigan – you got Nick from Oregon. Uh, you got the kid from uh, uh, Phoenix from, from Washington. One of these guys could be the guy that really catches their eye. And you say, okay, where can I get this guy? You know, and, and then well, I don't have to take him at two. And maybe that's why you trade out, you know, you trade down to two and then you trade down further and you say, well, I want this guy, but I think I can get him at 13 or 14 or something like that. And I'm just throwing a number. Sure. You know, you know, I don't want to overdraft him. Yeah, right, right. And then go from there. So I do think that, you know, a lot of people, we got to get it too, got to get it too. Well, we have it too. It's the ninth pick of the first round. <laughs> so let's be happy with that. If, if we have to go 70 picks without a pick, I trade that to get the ninth overall player in the draft. Now, as you just said, there might be value, and so you consider trading down and so forth. You pick up more players. Uh, well, you but... look at you look at the just the number of picks they want, mm-hmm. and is it he's going to trade something? 
It's going to happen. Whether it's number one or number nine, he's going to trade something to get more picks. Yeah, I, I, that I, it's hard to argue with that. Absolutely. All right. The most challenging question you will face ever on the, at the Barroom Network <laughs> comes from J2K. <laughs> He he posted this about an hour ago, and I've been holding on to it, wondering should I should I pose this to Greg because it's really weird. Maybe J two K is on mushrooms, but he says, Greg, if Caleb was your girlfriend and you were going to propose to her, but the only thing publicly she's ever done was like an Instagram post about your grandma's birthday, would you dump her? Huh. I yes. don't even understand it. J2K is one of the more astute well, football I, I, guys. I want, know, I want to know what 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 did she say about grandma? Yeah, we need more information, J2K. <laughs> that is hilarious. I just I read it and I've been looking at it every once in a while saying, should I put this on? And then he just said, Hey, you didn't like what my question. Did you go to any of those places? Did you go to yeah, uh, uh, Swifty, hit any of those restaurants? I'm scrolling up to see maybe you posted something earlier. Uh, which I gave him too. Oh, look at you. Um, so uh, let's let's go. He probably did because he not posted anything. He's saying he went to both. All right, he went to Winsels. Yes, popular, popular place. And the other place is Dreamland. If you like Dumbo, you got to go to and Dreamland. Dreamland has got great ribs. I've never been there. Never okay, been to Dreamland is over. No, years ago they there was a prep school that they the South team used to work at. This was before they did all the the practices at at um, the old stadium, and now at South Alabama, you know there was different high schools they went to. They went out to Fairport uh, for the for the North team, and and this prep school for the. South team and Dreamland was right behind that prep school. And but the original Dreamland is in Tuscaloosa, right oh, okay. near the Alabama campus. And I went there, I think it was my very first time going to Alabama. And I was with an older guy. He goes, Hey, we got to go over here. And they go, and there's a dirt road going in there, and there's all these hound dogs, and it's like you know, you're the the middle of, I don't know what you would want to call it, but, uh, and, but the food, the ribs, <laughs> the smoked ribs, the brisket, uh, unbelievable. Making me hungry, man. I haven't eaten all weekend because my stomach problems. So I might, uh, try it this afternoon. I got a big 14 pound brisket for as a Christmas present. Oh, nice. Well, the phone's got the point on it and everything. I'm going to smoke that sucker when the weather gets better. Nice, nice, nice. Nice. Hey, I want to ask you about this whole Caleb thing with the painting of the nails. I learned over the weekend um, that the reason he paints his nails is because his mom, and he shared this back in October, his mom uh, used to, it, that was part of her job. She's a cosmetologist or something like mm -hmm. that. And so as a kid, she used to paint his nails and they kind of, you know, kept it up as a tradition over the years. The big scandal with it is that he said F Utah, F-U-C-K Utah on his right. nails. 
but I, I, I don't know if the this issue with him painting his nails, that shouldn't be a big deal to NFL general managers, right? I, I don't think that's the least of your worries. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's him crying on his mom's shoulder for 30 minutes after a game. That's an issue. That's a psych psychiatric help. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else you want to say before we pull the plug on this episode? Um, no, but let's stay on. I want to – we got to do some planning here. Yeah. Do you want to tease any of the potential guests that we've got uh, in the hamper? Yeah, we can, we can, we can tease. We, I, I had some text conversations with two guys. Now, they're not going to be in the next two weeks. Okay. One could be before the combine but probably after the other one's definitely after the combine okay but we're gonna have uh daniel jeremiah on and we're gonna have dane brugler on yeah several times and what we're gonna do is kind of debate three or four players mm -hmm. you know and, and do it you know, because DJ done it a million times like I have where he's been in a a, a scout meeting room and, you, and you're going over players in debate. And one guy's got one opinion, another guy. So we're going to pick players where there is a difference of opinion. Love it. Between DJ and myself. Okay. And um, just so you can hear it and how he and then there would be. You know, the, the guy who's the, the GM or the scouting director or whatever would make a final decision, and you're going to have more than two reports anyway. But I just want to do that so you can get an idea that it's not it, – with any team in the league, it's not one person's opinion. It's a collective opinion of everybody who has seen the guy. You know, starting with the scouts, going up to the scouting director, player personnel director, general manager, the coaching staff. You know, it could be the position coach and the coordinator, or whatever, on the coaching staff that did them. And so there's a lot of different opinions. And generally speaking, the grade isn't going to be as high as the best grade or as low as the, the worst grade, but somewhere in the middle. And no, you don't average them out, but you got to have the right grade for you and be in a position, especially if it's a guy you want, that it's a guy that you know you have graded accordingly so that you can get them in that area that that's going to be fascinating somebody in the chat just said uh what about jerry jerry angelo yeah jerry's going to come on but you know jerry i think will just jerry hasn't you know he doesn't know what the bears are doing now you might have seen him two games all year if that mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. what i want to do with Jerry is talk about because I hammer it and, and but he's like the godfather, the football character mm -hmm. and stuff and things like that and, and creating a philosophy and, and team building and Good. Not individual players. Right. Because you know, frankly, he I mean he doesn't study him like Sure, like it did when he was doing it professionally. Yeah, and so I will ask people in the chat when we get Jerry Angelo on. Let's uh, throw questions out that are more about the process of scouting players and uh, the process of getting prepared for the draft than asking him about you know the right tackle out of UCLA or whatever it is. Yeah, so I, I can tell you right now, it's not going to be. He might be familiar with some of them, 
Mm-hmm. You know, last year, you know, at, at around this time or maybe combine time or a little bit after, you know, we're talking and he goes, well, you got to take that guy from Georgia, right? You know, and, and, but it was, you know, before the trade was made or everything and, and just based on the, you know, the little bit he had seen and the talent and the weaknesses of the bears, but you know, he doesn't have all the information. Right. Right. You know, when you're sitting in there, he doesn't have anywhere near as much as the information as I have right now, because he's just not doing it. Mm. Jerry's doing what I should be doing, enjoying life. Yes. <laughs> but I like doing it. Well, we can tell that you're having a good time doing this and uh, we're having a good time listening to you and uh, really appreciate all your expertise, which reminds me, I, I, I owe you some money. <laughs> <laughs> Those two dollars are on their way. <laughs> yes. um, it's all—it's a gratuity, uh, IRS. That's all. <laughs> it's a thank you. Ah, <laughs> oh, just kidding, people. Don't call uh, uh, the federal authorities on us. Um, I think that's it for today, Greg. Yeah, yeah I think so. Well, another hour and forty-five. Yeah, an hour and almost an hour and fifty minutes. Uh, so thank you, everyone in the chat room. Really appreciate it. There's there is no bear there souls tomorrow night. We're going to try to reschedule for Thursday, and uh, we've got draft on tap on Wednesday. Mac and Reed also on Wednesday, and hockey and baseball talk Wednesday and Thursday. And there's lots of other things. Just subscribe to the Barroom Network on YouTube, and you'll get a listing of all of our. What programs. time is your thing on Wednesday? Wednesday, uh, Draft on Tap is 8 p.m. with Eric at home. That's and right. I, I may. You want to pop in? If I can. I don't I, I don't know what my bride has, has planned. All right. I'll send, I'll send her some flowers. The next day I know is a very big day for her, so I don't know what she's got. Because that's the 8th, and, and I don't know what she's got planned. So okay, we'll figure it out. All right, sir. I pre- appreciate that. And again, everyone in the chat, appreciate you very much. Uh, we'll see you all very soon. Bye-bye. See you later. Stay.